It's time to get back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Live in the studio. How y'all are? Welcome in hour two of the show off and running. Here we go. On this Wednesday, I'm Matt. Bill is here. Thanks for tuning in. Glad you're here. And hope you'll grab a chair, pull up to the table, have a seat, join the conversation. So here you go. Text me or call me. Text me on the country, please, and text line. It's 885-ESPN or 885-3776. Call me on the phone. Love to hear you on the Divini phone, Divini Equipment, Madison and in Jackson. You're a Kubota dealer. The number to call, 995-1059. It is a 601 number, 995-1059. Now they have, get this, Bill, they've now got betting odds on when the regular season is going to start for baseball. (laughs) And I don't understand odds. But... uh, I don't know anything about it. I can't do the math on them. But if May, if if May, the month of May is seven to four, is that better than April at eleven to two? What does that even mean? Y'all smart degenerate gamblers out there, what do these odds mean? I don't know what any of that means. Anyway, that's what they've got now. So the good news is you do have baseball. You have got college baseball. Maybe it's a chance for college baseball to jump into the um, the wheelhouse of some diehard baseball fans out there. Maybe, just maybe. It could work the other way, though, right? Because like the diehard baseball fans are so distraught over this that in the big markets around the country that they go, no baseball for me at all, ever. Again, I'm moving on to something else, another sport. Right? <clears throat> you just never know. But maybe they will watch. And I love the comment last night in the post-game interview with Chris Lamonis at Mississippi State. You know, the question was something about getting ready to now turn around and play Southern Miss tonight in Pearl. And throughout his comment of talking about what a challenge it is, he said, you know, we just remind him college baseball is special, but college baseball in Mississippi is really special. And it is. I mean, you're talking about a state with less than 3 million people. And what do you think the attendance will be tonight at Pearl at Trustmark Park for Southern Miss, Mississippi State? 6 p.m. first pitch. Beautiful weather. Gorgeous weather today. The sun out down there, Bill? Oh, yeah. We're talking sellout, baby. I guarantee you. I, it's good. They'll be falling over the rail. I promise you. Oh, yeah. They'll be, they'll be standing room only for sure. And that's a great ballpark, too. Oh, know? it's nice. It's really nice. It is really nice. Wish I could be there. Dad, yeah, gum it! The Braves do a real good job of taking care of that part. Yeah. Hey, but you know what? We should remind – I didn't do it in the first hour, Bill, but I, it's time for me now to let people know that this time tomorrow here on our radio, you're going to be hearing coverage of the MHSAA basketball finals. Or is it the tournament? Just the I don't know if it's finals or semifinals. At any rate – I will not be here tomorrow or Friday because here on the radio, you're going to be hearing coverage of high school basketball and the championships going on at the big house. The big house. I'd forgotten to warn everybody about that. So, uh, yeah, just giving you a, just giving you a little heads up there. So since we are kind of sad because we've gotten the delay of major league baseball, Am I allowed to give out some historical baseball nuggets? Might make us all feel better. K 
Can I do that before I get into this coverage of the NFL Combine as it relates to Matt Corral? Okay, I can. All right. Good. Take me to the ball. Sing along. Me to the ball. Buy some peanuts and crackers. Okay, all right. On this day in 1927, Babe Ruth became the highest paid player in Major League history. The Yankees announced that he would earn $70,000 a season for the next three years. Uh, Back Ruth, then, it was a lot of, lots of money. Though. In 1927, $70,000 go a long way. Uh, Babe Buy Ruth. A lot of cigars and beer <laughs> for Babe. That's right. Ruth signed the contract on March the 4th after getting the contract on this day in 27. It took him two days to put the ink to it, but he eventually did it. On this day in 1949, Jumpin' Joe DiMaggio leaves the Yankee Spring Training Camp to have an ailing right heel examined at Johns Hopkins Hospital. He's told that no surgery is needed, and he returns to Florida. But the heel continued to bother him, and he went just 7 for 31 in spring training. How about that? That was 1949. Yeah. I got one here. Look at this. It, this is the day, March the 2nd, 1989. New York Mets stars Keith Hernandez and Daryl Strawberry famously nearly came to blows in front of reporters and TV crews at spring training. Teammates, you believe that? Mm. Now, here's a couple of football notes. So that'll transition right over into uh, this year's combine, which you do have going on today's day two. Uh, On this day in 2004, the Indianapolis Colts signed quarterback Peyton Manning to a seven-year, $98 million deal with a $34 million signing bonus, the largest package at that time in the NFL. And then a few years later, on this day in 2012, the NFL established existence of a bounty program in the New Orleans Saints organization for three years, 9, 10, 11, players given incentives to injure the opponent, Coach Sean Payton, suspended for the 2012 season. And now we have a movie about it. Have you all seen the Sean Payton movie? You get Kevin James playing the part of Sean Payton the year that he was suspended. He went and coached Little League. Or, you know, kids football. Anyway, that was on this day. They, they established it. On this day, March the 2nd, 2012, and then he missed all of the 2012 season in the fall. Uh, one year of suspension. Sorry to bring up a bad memory, Saints fan. Sorry. <laughs> what kind of contract did that Pee Wee Football League give you? <laughs> maybe that's in the movie, too. Yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe it's great, but I, I saw like a preview of that um, for that movie, and it didn't look that good to me, to be honest. Has anybody seen that? Is it even out yet? I think it is. I think it's like on Netflix, maybe. Anywho. Let's fast forward to modern day stuff. Okay, so we learned yesterday on day one of the NFL Combine in Indianapolis that Matt Corral, Ole Miss QB, was not going to throw at the Combine. Still nursing the high ankle sprain, 
from the Sugar Bowl. So he's at the combine. He's not going to throw. He will throw at Pro Day. He's trying to be on track to be full speed by the end of this month. And I'm trying to piece this time frame together, right, because we talked about it yesterday. You played the Sugar Bowl early January. And so we're two months removed. We're four weeks, four to, I'm sorry, eight weeks, eight to nine weeks removed from the high ankle sprain. And apparently it was legit enough that it's hung around and he's had to really kind of get through it, has not been able to throw, maybe to the point that he can't really feel confident in throwing. I, I don't know. It's hard to imagine that, but that's the case. not going to throw at the combine. He'll wait and do it on his pro day. Article comes out today. They talked to him in Indianapolis, and it says Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral, speaking at the combine, says he has no regrets about playing in the Sugar Bowl and that he is on track to be full speed for the March 24th Pro Day. Not throwing at the combine. Quarterbacks are going to have their on-field workout on Thursday. That'd be tomorrow. He is still recovering from a right ankle injury, as we said. Corral's quote was this. They asked if I regretted it, and I said, absolutely not. I never thought about opting out. It was never a thought in my mind. I was going to play regardless. Now, here's some information. Okay, so again, if it happens in early January, he said yesterday, about two and a half weeks ago, so mid-February, I started throwing and running. I am throwing at 100% right now. I just started taking dropbacks about two and a half weeks ago. Before that, I was just throwing from spots, not taking any dropbacks. So, two and a half for the last two and a half weeks, he's been able to drop back and throw. He says the throwing part of it's 100%, but not going to do it at the combine. See, that's just what I wondered. I, I understand, okay, if you're only eight weeks or so removed from that injury, and you're not going to run the 40-yard dash at the combine. You know, you're not going to do the vertical jump uh, or the short shuttle or whatever it is, anything else they want you to do. You know, you, you could do bench press. You could do some of the other things. And, frankly, I mean, I guess I would think you could do the throwing. I guess the thing is, though, you're not doing just straight dropbacks. You know, you're you're – some of your throwing drills are putting those guys on the move. They have to roll one way and roll the other. And so maybe he's just not ready to do that yet. But it says he has been dropping back for two and a half weeks. I, I still didn't go back and watch the highlight to see if it was right or left. Was it his right ankle? That would be worse for a right-handed quarterback for sure. The right one versus the left one. Okay, but something that's mentioned in this is the latest mock draft from Mel Kuyper. Now, Let's make sure we know that's what it is. It's just one guy's mock draft. And any of these mock drafts never nail it completely. In fact, today is the first time that I saw some rumors popping up out there about the possibility Jacksonville would consider trading out of the number one overall pick. And you knew that might be a possibility, right? If they... If they weren't completely sold on any of these offensive tackles, 
the only guys that I've seen rumored, it's like maybe one person out there saying that defensive end Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan might go number one overall, but everybody else is taking and putting one of these offensive tackles at their number one choice, either Iquanu from NC State or Evan Neal from Alabama or Charles Cross from Mississippi State. Those are the three offensive tackles everybody has in the top five, top ten, the top three offensive tackles. And everybody kind of, it's almost like everybody looks at the Jaguars having the number one pick, going, if they're going to use that pick, they're going to use it on offensive tackle. And everybody's trying to figure out which one of the tackles it would be. Well, today, all of a sudden, yeah, the Jags would consider trading out of that pick. See, if they trade out of that pick, then everything's up in the air. Everything. So this is one mock draft. It is Mel Kuyper. He won't nail it. Just showing you. They're getting feedback from teams and stuff and trying to put a mock draft accordingly. So let's just take a look. It's kind of like looking at top 25 rankings. Let's just keep it in perspective. Otherwise, we can, if we can do that, we can have fun with it. All right, so his latest has the Jags staying at number one and taking Iquanu, the offensive tackle from NC State, who was their left tackle, and he was big time. Big time. They have him going number one. Not Neal or Cross. At number two, he has the Lions taking Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan, the defensive end. That's something that everybody seems to be in lockstep. Just about every mock draft you see now, as we get into March, has an offensive tackle going number one and Aiden Hutchinson going number two to the Lions. At number three, he has the Houston Texans taking the offensive tackle Evan Neal out of Alabama. At number four, the Jets going with the safety Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. At five, the Giants not going with an offensive tackle in Charles Cross, but instead going with the defensive end Thibodeau from Oregon. And at number six, Mel Kuyper has the Panthers taking Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. What do you say about it here? Let's see. What do you say about it? Cross allowed just one sack last year, leveling up for a pass-happy Mississippi State offense that shows no mercy for opposing linemen. He is a stellar pass blocker as a left tackle. That's what he said. To quickly scroll then, that's your top five. And then at number six, Charles Cross just outside of the top five. Seven, he has the Giants going with a linebacker out of Utah. Um, Falcons at eight going with Sauce, the corner out of Cincinnati, Sauce Gardner. Um you got the Browns moving up in a trade with Denver to get Drake London, the receiver out of USC at number 9. Number 10, the center out of Iowa going to the Jets. I'm taking the center there. Okay, so here we go, quarterbacks. At number 11, Kuiper has Washington taking Kenny Pickett, quarterback Pitt, first QB. Stingley out of LSU, the corner going to the Vikings at 12. Broncos at 13, going with a defensive end. He has the Saints trading up into the 14th pick to go for Garrett Wilson, the receiver out of Ohio State. So he, keep in mind, he has the Saints trading up to take a wide receiver in the first round. At 15, he's got the Eagles going with a corner. Uh, kid out of Washington. Then 
they'll have another pick at 16 if that trade works out where they would take then the linebacker out of Michigan, Ojabu, Ojabo, Ojabo. How do you say it? I don't know. Let me scroll down for you here. Uh, at 19, the Eagles' third time to pick in the first round of this mock draft. They'd have three. At 19, he has the Eagles taking Traylon Burks, a wide receiver out of Arkansas. I don't think anybody is surprised to see Burks moving up into people's first round. He's that kind of player for sure. All right, we get to number 20. Remember, he's got Washington taking the quarterback, Kenny Pickett. He's got the Steelers at number 20 taking a quarterback, Malik Willis, Liberty. So there's quarterback number two in the first round. Patriots at 21 going with a um, defensive end. Raiders at 22 going for N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker out of Georgia. He's got Cardinals at 23 taking uh, the Ohio State receiver, Olave. Really fast. He's got the Cowboys going defensive end out of Purdue at 24. Bills at 25 going uh, with the Georgia defensive tackle, Devontae Wyatt. Titans taking dots in the receiver out of Penn State at 26. Bucks going with an offensive lineman. Uh, Packers taking speedster Jameson Williams, receiver out of Alabama with the 28th pick. Let's see, 29 Dolphins, uh, Chiefs, linebacker, 31. And then the last pick of the first round in this mock draft, he has the Detroit Lions trading back into the first round Trading with the Rams to get back into the first round at pick number 32, taking Matt Corral, quarterback Ole Miss. It's really a, a scenario in this Mel Kuyper mock draft that nobody else has thrown this possibility out there. So first one. That's why it kind of caught my eye. First time I'd seen this possibility of the Rams not using a first-round pick, trading out of it, kind of going with like the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> um, approach there for a couple of years. Trade out of the first round. So he's got the Rams trading out and the Lions taking a bait, going back into the first round at number 32, the last one, and taking Matt Corral. Let me tell you what he said. This is what Kuyper says about Corral and the Lions at number 32. He said, I'm not convinced Jared Goff will be Detroit's long-term signal caller. Corral could be, though, and... In this scenario, he could get time to learn behind Goff in 2022 when the Lions almost certainly won't be contending in the NFC North. He says, yes, they have several needs, but if they can get a quarterback with a fifth-year option, they could continue the positive momentum off of their rebuild. Corral took a step forward in 2021, throwing 20 touchdown passes and just five picks, dual threat, beat teams with his legs, he ran an RPO-centric offense at Ole Miss. He's going to need to learn how to adapt in the NFL. He can spin the football. Corral won't work out for NFL teams at the Combine, which means all eyes will be on his pro day in late March. You know, and the more you hear and consume and think about this, too, it really does seem smart for Corral to hold it off, right? Just hold it off and do everything at pro day when you know you're going to feel a little better. Robert said that the Rams pick was part of the Stafford trade. Well, that worked out for them, huh? (laughs) 
Okay, so that 30-second pick via the Rams was part of the Stafford trade. So that's why the that's why the Lions have it. So if the Lions have 32 and 2. So they, so they've got, you know, one at the very top of the first round and then the last one of the first round. You know, and who knows like as long as the Jaguars stay there at number one, everybody seems confident they're going to take one of these tackles that all three of them seem pretty sure bets. Equanu, Cross, and Neal. But, you know, any of these others, would, um, you know, would you be surprised to see Houston trade out of the number three spot and go a few spots down, pick up another pick from somebody, and take an, whichever of the three tackles is left? Would you be surprised to see you know, the, the Jets or the Giants trade out of four and five. I mean, because right now you go, all right, the Giants are sitting there with the fifth pick. Well, they're also sitting there with the seventh pick. They're going to keep both or trade out of it. You know, so if you start throwing out what ifs about this draft, y'all have seen it happen before. What if, what if in the days leading up, the Jaguars trade the number one pick and the Giants trade out of either number five or number seven. Well, you know what? All bets are off. It could go crazy. <laughs> I hope it does. I hope it does. All right, little draft coverage for you. Y'all stick around. Uh, Bill, you know how I do the National Day things every now and then and mention what today is? Yes. Um, today is our day. Right. Okay. March the 2nd is National Old Stuff Day. <laughs> Old Stuff. What do you think is the oldest thing in your house? Probably me. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I was trying to think about that earlier today. The oldest thing I own or is in my house. And, you know, it's kind of a funny, I never, this, this has never crossed my mind before. Hmm. Go, okay. I've got some things my mother gave me that she handed down. So they're pretty old. Yeah. Some old, old records and stuff from back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. That's pretty old. It's pretty old, yeah. Not as old as me. But. The the I think what I came up with when I was thinking this earlier today's National Old Stuff Day. Like we're not anti, we're not into antiques, but I have Civil War relics that I found. So, you know, some of that obviously then goes back to 1860s for sure. I've got one um artillery shell that I dug up out of the ground few years ago and had it diffused there's some people in flora bill yeah. that if you find an artillery shell it doesn't matter if it's civil war or whatever it, if it's got the possibility of still having gunpowder in it uh you can't just you better be careful just sitting that thing around 
Yeah, because if it's if it's not exploded, then it's probably still got the. Then it could, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, it could. You just never know. It's like you want to be sure. I mean, there was. Uh, hate to say it. I mean, I've heard horror stories. Mm-hmm. People who back in the early 1900s were finding, you know, unexploded artillery shells just in the ground and laying around and stuff in Vicksburg, and they would you know, sit them out as decorations and stuff. And there are a few cases of people sitting them by their fireplace. And, you know, all of a sudden, boom. Uh, anyway, but you get it diffused. And I took it to them. And they have this big tank with an underwater drill. And they stick it under there and remotely operate this drill. And it drills a hole in the side of the artillery shell, uh, cl- flushes it out, and they give it back to you. And then after that happened, I took it and put it through electrolysis to um, – keep it from rusting, you know, and sealed it in paraffin wax like they do in the museums and stuff. It's a pretty neat process. But on the bottom, it's a Hotchkiss shell, so it's not completely round. It's shaped like a bullet. It's just big and heavy. And on the bottom of that, you could see where at one point in the in the bottom of that shell it was stamped or whatever it said, October 1861. And I think that might be the oldest thing in this house that I could confirm. Now, at one point I had a coin that I had found in the ground, dug it up. It was, uh, I think it was, they call it a seeded dime from like 1853 or something is when it was minted, but I've lost that thing. I don't know where that is. Yeah. I did forget about that. I do have some silver dollars uh, from the 1860s. Do you? Yeah. Okay. That came from Las Vegas, actually. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I was, um, some friends of ours, when I lived in California on the desert, they used to go on vacation. I would watch their dogs. Uh-huh. And they came back from vacation one year and paid me six silver dollars that they brought from Las Vegas. Yeah. And they were all from the 1860s. There you go. Very cool. Anyway, what's the oldest thing in your house? It'd be a fun conversation starter with people, wouldn't it? Hey, just for fun. What's the oldest thing you own? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's not fun. It's all older than Champ, right? Yeah, Champ's up there. He ain't that old, though. I got a bunch of Civil War coat buttons and bullets. and all that's, that's about the oldest stuff in this house, I would think. Got a really, really old uh, clock that belonged to my granddad, but I still don't think it goes back to the 1800s. I don't think, anyway. Hey, speaking of old, here's one for you, Bill. This is old. American Bandstand, this day, 1968, Iron Butterfly. Ooh, look out now. <laughs> I used to play this song in a band I was in. Oh, really? Yeah, I was a drummer. I would get to the drum solo, and all the other members would walk off stage and go see the girls. I'm still playing. For playing the drums for about 10, 10 minutes. Solo. Yeah, 10 minutes solo. <laughs> Yeah, we watched yeah. that uh, home improvement episode the other day when uh, Tim dressed up like an alien and scared yeah. his kids and played this yep. song. Anyway, that was on this day well, in '68. The, you know, the thing about that song was it's supposed to be in the Garden of Eden, but it didn't come out that way when the guy sang. I think he must have been. I know, like you told me that, and then yeah. it, it, then they even titled it with whatever came out of his mouth. Yeah, yeah. but you know what's really weird is the LP, the the wax. People don't know what those are. The old uh, vinyl. Yeah. Uh, that song was on the side A, and then you flip it over to the side B. That had the other song. <laughs> so the, that, 
took up that much room. How about that? that? <laughs> the whole size was in the garden of Eden. The whole thing. In the garden of Eden. You know that I love you. In a garden of Eden, baby. Don't you know that? Hey, yeah, in I that home improvement, I still get sore when I think about playing that drum solo. <laughs> yeah. In that home improvement episode where they scared the kids, Tim was yeah. outside and he was wearing this suit that had lights on it and it was yeah. everything. And they put a spotlight on the kids. Were like ah, and they ran over to the door to go in the house and they wouldn't open. And they were banging on the window to look to wake up their mom who was on the couch. And when she stood up and looked at them, she also had the fake googly eyes in and yeah. the weird teeth. And she scared them to death. It was a great scene. Look that one up. On home improvement. Uh, let's see. Okay. Dog tired with some very important information. Yes. Reporting live from Trustmark Park in Pearl, Mississippi, where the Golden Eagles and the Diamond Dogs will play tonight at 6. Dog tired says there is already a line forming at Trustmark Park to either get tickets or get in there one or the other for tonight's Mississippi State Southern Miss game. Wow. Already oh, tailgating going on out there. Well, I mean, that's five and a half hours till game time. Whew. It's going to be full. Unnamed texter said, Matt, what are you giving up for Lent? Well, listen, I have to be honest with you. I don't understand or know about any of that. Um, I really don't. I just don't know it. I don't know it. I don't understand it. Um, I was asking Anna Beth the other day, like, what is Mardi Gras for? And everybody's Mardi Gras this and that. Well, what is it? Like, and she's like, what do you mean, what is it? I said, well, like, if you tell me, Matt, we're going to go to a Christmas parade. Well, I kind of know what it is. Matt, we're going to go to a uh, homecoming parade. All right, I got it. I know what homecoming is. We're going to go to a Mardi Gras parade. I'm like, what is it? <laughs> I don't know what any of that is. And so I'm not giving up anything for Lent because I don't know what it is. And I don't necessarily feel like I have to do it. I'm, I'm, I tell you what, I'm giving up um, my whole life. I've been trying to give up sin, and that's a year-round thing. I'm just going to keep trying to do that. Uh, Robbie said, what's up, fellas? I've got some old silver dollar, dollars, uh, just like Wild Bill. Yeah, so maybe they go back to the 1800s. Buffalo Chris says, I have some arrowheads that date 700 B.C., Atta boy. Hey, Chris, speaking of, I've got some arrowheads in there. I guess that's older than that Civil War stuff, isn't it? But I found them when I was a kid up in North Alabama. Sure did. Anybody ever heard of Tharptown, Alabama? Outside of Russellville? Yeah. Found all kinds of stuff. White Denzel says, uh, back when I was in the Army, we'd go to Camp Shelby for training from time to time, and every time we would Go out training in the field, we would find at least one piece of unexploded artillery. You'd have to call the explosive ordnance device team to come get it and dispose of it properly. Yes, you would. Stuff's dangerous. And listen, I, there's a really sad story, Denzel. Um, I don't know the man's name. And this is several years ago. But there was someone who, like in the Civil War relic hunting community up in Virginia... Which, you know, in the Virginia area, obviously, you can imagine, uh, for, for years and decades and decades now, the, the going out and finding Civil War relics and different things has been a huge thing in that part of the country, in Virginia. And there was a guy up there who was very well known for 
he would defuse artillery shells for people. Uh, there were pictures of him how he'd be out in his driveway and he'd have, you know, these kind of almost like sawhorses that he had built that they would they were two parts and they would sit on those and so it's a line of, you know, cannonballs that people would have dug up and brought to him and he'd go through the process of diffusing them for him and he had one accident and it exploded and killed him right there in his driveway. All it took was a shell that had some relatively dry powder still in it and one little spark from a drill as you're trying to make a hole, you know, and boom. Really sad. Those things are dangerous. No question. No question about it. All right, I got real quick. RT says he can explain Lent to me on line two. What's up, RT? Gosh, that that last story kind of blew me away. I don't. I'm kind of come on now, off, come on now. Train of thought, guys. Look, I went to a boarding school. Not not the bad time. It was a good <laughs> academic boarding school in uh, around DC, and I I got to go to Gettysburg, Appomattox, all the uh, Civil War sites, and it, it, it was insane. Uh, you know, just being able to like kind of go on. You know, on the ground and get all hey, that, uh, uh, RT, all, all the music's, the music's going to cut you off real quick here. Be careful. What you got on Lent? Look, well, uh, after Christmas and between Easter, you're supposed to uh, party and then get yourself straight and, 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 and not do any of your bad things that you have done before. And, and you know, you, you drink as much as you can and then you stop and and, and get it, get yourself together. But that's my take on it. <laughs> Y'all stick around. Now back to the guy who loves his banana pudding. It's the Matt Wyatt Show. Live in the studio. Back. Back with you. Welcome into the show. Got a little bit of time left with you here on this Wednesday in the Bureau. You also have basketball. I mentioned this earlier, but it was more in passing because, I mean, at this point, kind of feels like a mere formality, doesn't it? Talking about men's basketball. Uh, so tonight at 8 o'clock on the SEC Network, you'll have Mississippi State hosting Auburn. Fifth-ranked Auburn, formerly number one-ranked Auburn, in the hump. Then also tonight at 8 on ESPN2, you have 14th-ranked Arkansas hosting LSU. That's two good teams. LSU's not ranked, but there's a three-game difference right there. Arkansas, 14th-ranked. They're 23-6. and Musselman's done a good job with them this year. And LSU is 20-9. and Um... Earlier tonight, 6 p.m., you got 25th-ranked Alabama hosting Texas A&M, and then men's tournament starts you know, next week. This week, you have the women's tournament, women's conference tournament. <clears throat> Actually gets underway today. Two games today. Uh, one in the books, another one going right now. Uh, Vanderbilt women eliminated the Texas A&M women from the tournament. Final score, 85-69. That was the first game today. And then, going on right now, they just started the ball game. 
in Game 2 of the SEC Women's Tournament. It's up in Nashville. 0-0, Auburn and Alabama. It's the Iron Bowl of women's basketball. That drives some people in Alabama crazy when you say it that way, but uh, it's just one of them things. Nobody's ever going to stop saying it. Tomorrow, Thursday, Mississippi State, tomorrow night, 6 p.m., their women's team will take on Kentucky in the SEC Women's Tournament. Um, you have uh, three other games going on tomorrow also, and the Ole Miss women are the fourth seed. They are the number four seed in the tournament, so they have a bye until Friday. The four teams that have a bye. Number one ranked team in the country, South Carolina. Sixth ranked LSU women. 18th ranked Tennessee Balls. And the Ole Miss women's team, who's 22-7 and seven this year under Coach Yo Had a really good year. Hmm. Or are having a really good year. It's not past tense. It's still going on. So kind of an update on uh, basketball right there. On the men's side, yeah, I mean, like, I, I texted somebody earlier today, a buddy of mine. I said, are you feeling an upset? Talking about State hosting Auburn. He just texts back, no. <laughs> one, word, one word, two letters, no. That's what he said there. Auburn's really good. But, you know, on the road, it's tough. Never know. Uh, we'll see. Worth watching tonight at 8. Can't watch baseball. Got to listen to baseball. But I would suggest you listening to basketball, too. You're just not going to find anybody. You will you just listen. I'm just telling you all, okay? And, and most everybody agrees. Anybody who's actually paid attention agrees. You can't find someone on television broadcasting a basketball game who – the play-by-play guy does a better job than what Neil Price does on radio. And conversely, you cannot find a color analyst doing any TV stuff that does a better job than Richard Williams does on the radio. It's one of the best broadcasts you can hear, those two guys together on the radio. So I'll be tuning in. That's how I do it every time I – even if I watch a state game, I mute it and find – Neil and Coach on my phone. I got a let's see, I got a couple of texts here. Uh, Donnie told me that Lent is a Catholic thing. He said, like T, like uh, who was it? RT said, he said, openly sin all you want, and then ask for forgiveness. <laughs> he says that's what Lent is. Well, I don't know. Rob from Grenada said, the oldest and coolest thing I can think of that, that I own is my grandfather's purple heart medal from World War II. Man, that is awesome. That's awesome. Today is Old Stuff Day. Unnamed Texter said, have you heard any rumblings that Ben Howland won't be back next, next year? Yes, I have. I have heard those. Um, you know, and I think it is possible. Don't know if anything – my thing is, like, I have no idea if decisions have been made, if they're waiting to see how things play out. You know, the opinions on State's team range, you know, they're, they're far-reaching. State's sitting there at 17 and 12. You know, you look at that, you got a top 25 team in Alabama. They're ranked 25th who's two games better overall, 19 and 10. 
one game better overall in the SEC. So from a record standpoint, State's right there with teams like Alabama and some of the others. But I don't know how much record really plays into it if it's not paired with the right kind of wins. We always hear that. Quad one, quad two, all this stuff, those types of wins. And you got to have some road wins. And State's got one, and it's at Missouri. They just, like I told you last week, I mean, some people will argue with that. Talking to a buddy of mine today, and he said he was talking to a friend of his. So here we are, third-hand information. He was talking to a friend of his who said, hey, if y'all were to pull off the miraculous upset of Auburn tonight in Starkville, you're getting in the tournament. And and I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> I just don't buy it. You know, the I've seen it, I've seen state teams before and in the past have much better resumes than this one and not get in. Much better. It is not a tournament resume. Um, period. And so, yeah, I mean, I've heard those rumors that you'll have a new coach next year. But the thing that I don't know is, is it a decision that's made? Or is there, because, you know, like if, what if State upsets Auburn tonight? What if they do miraculously go win the SEC tournament and get in the NCAA tournament? Then what? You know, all that stuff. But, yeah, I've heard all that too. Okay, let's see here. Rooster on line one of the Divinity phone. Hey, Rooster, thanks for calling. What's up? Hey, I just heard the Ben Howe. I go, where'd you hear that rumor? Can we ask? Say what now? Where did we? Where did you hear that Ben about Ben Howe? Oh gosh, I've heard it all over the place. You hear five thousand fans talking about it at the baseball game. You know, four. That's just one example. They got the whole team coming back. What does that Everybody have to do with the, what does that have to do with anything? Well, they're gonna be pretty good next year. Now this year they're NIT, no question. They're not beating Auburn and they're not winning the SEC. Yeah. They're NIT. I go back to Bay McCarthy, I was up there in sixty three. And you know, when it's a basketball tradition, always has been. Uh, and I don't know what happened with the uh when Rick left and they brought in the gentleman from uh I can't remember his name. Yeah, Rick Ray from Clemson. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that was all about. But anyway, Ben Howland should be there as long as he wants to be there. I mean, come on. This guy is like a walking history book, Final Four, UCLA, and he can recruit. No question. And they got everybody coming back. So they need to – this year they've underachieved. No question of that. No question about it. They've underachieved. But everybody's back. They'll be back next year. He's probably going to sign a couple of studs. He probably is. You know, the only thing about that, though, Rooster, is like it's with the transfer portal stuff, it's such a risky thing to like make a decision on, you know, keeping a coach or getting a new one based on players coming back. Because as soon as you make that decision, sign a contract, two days later, two guys jump in a transfer portal. You just never know, you know? Yeah, that's true. And it's risky. And but I do I'll tell you this though I mean we can probably safely assume this you know if Ben Howland is let go or you or he resigns or retires or whatever you you got a whole bunch of players who are gone. Oh yeah, no question. I mean, he, he got them from what Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, wherever they came out of, out of the woodworks. I want to comment too about your Richard Williams, the only broadcast team that's better than Richard Williams, and. uh Price is John Cohen and Jim Ellis. That's a pretty good team right there. <laughs> Aren't they good? I mean, John's really good now. He's I, I, oh yeah, they are. I was the uh, 
editor of the Natchez Democrat when uh, Richard was with South Natchez Carnival. We go way back, mm-hmm. almost 50 years. Yeah, he's a good guy, and he's, I mean, almost as old as I am, but he still does a good job on the radio. No hey, question. so sort of in the same subject then, since you spent time in Natchez, Rooster, do you remember when John Carrero was a high school coach in the Natchez area? Sure. Yeah. My father-in-law went to Cathedral, and John Carrero was his high school tennis coach. How about that? <laughs> yeah, good old days. Yeah, Natchez is a beautiful place. But oh. Yeah, that's where I first met Richard, and, of course, he went up through the ranks and uh, got him to the final four. Could Ben Hallam get into my parting uh, cheerleading? Could Ben Hallam get him to the final four next year? Absolutely. Sure could. Yep, never know. But not this team. No, not this team. God that, bless. You too, Rooster. Thank you. Well, here we go. To all y'all standing in line at Trustmark Park, getting ready to watch Southern Miss and Mississippi State play baseball tonight in five hours. I hope you have some comfortable shoes. <laughs> Maybe they're just getting their tickets early. Yeah, you're going to have a good crowd there tonight for sure. I hope some of y'all get to go and enjoy it. Enjoy this beautiful weather. Well, you will not hear me tomorrow or Friday. You will hear coverage of the high school state championship basketball games, and I'll be back with you on Monday. So y'all have a joyous rest of the week and weekend. We'll see you then. <laughs>